Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. These are not easy days for the NYPD. Three teenagers were killed in shootings in New York City last week, matching the total for all of last year. These stories are becoming far more common in New York City, and so are these. Security camera video shows a woman in a polka-dotted headscarf and tan leggings calmly getting up from a bench and pushing a rider right into an oncoming train on the Uptown 123 platform. While violent crime is actually trending down in New York, there are questions about the impact of recent bail reform and the ability to keep dangerous criminals off the streets. Add to that a crisis going on at Rikers Island that has some advocates and politicians calling for the complex to be emptied. As New York's top cop sees it... Where I get really nervous is when we start talking about artificial incarceration levels and getting to those goals. I think that there's a lot of people talking that frankly don't have a clue about what they're talking about there, and it's putting New Yorkers at risk. This week on 880 In-Depth, our conversation with New York Police Commissioner Dermot Shea about crime, about vaccine mandates, and his time at the top. Has it been two years? I thought it was about 20 years at this point. Uh, I'm not not surprised it feels that way. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Schell. Dermot Shea will mark two years on the job this coming December, but it's unclear if he will serve much beyond the new year with a new mayor coming into office in January. We spoke to Dermot Shea this week about all of it. He spent time with reporter Peter Haskell, and the conversation began with high-profile crime. Commissioner, there seems to be a sense of disorder lately. You've got a woman pushed into a train, a nurse was knocked down and killed by a thief on the run, and these high-end crooks are driving on the sidewalk. How would you characterize this? Is that a fair assessment or no? Well, I I think there's certainly challenges, and and we see these, and and any one of those incidents, Peter, I mean, you, you, you mentioned a few. I could probably mention a few more. Any one is too many. So it highlights really the work that we still have to do. And when I say we, it's certainly the police department. But, you know, I've been pretty vocal that we also need some help. Um, and it's got to be a holistic approach here. Listen, a couple of years ago, we had the lowest incarceration and the lowest crime. And that's not that long ago. Um, we just need a little bit of help. We need some fixes to some of these 
laws that are certainly, you know, I, I think every New Yorker at this point really realizes that uh, some changes have to come. And when we get a little bit of that help to stop this revolving door, um, that's going to go an awful long way. It's, it's a little tilted right now, in my opinion, where, you know, there's well-intentioned, some good reforms that were done, but you have to be careful that you're not tilting the scales in favor of, uh, you know, people that are doing crime and, and uh, ish, wish ill will on New Yorkers. And I think we've seen a little bit of that of late. We'll talk a little bit uh, more about that later. There, there's there been a crew that's been robbing people of expensive jewelry at high-end clubs and restaurants. What's the latest on that, and, and how how big is this in scale? Well, a very active investigation, so I have to be a little careful here. What I could tell you is that we've been monitoring this for uh, months. Um, the Detective Bureau, with our partners, on the prosecution side and some of our federal partners and different agencies have been combining our um, efforts together. We have made some arrests. Um, Some of those individuals are incarcerated currently. We've also recovered some property from some of these proceeds, but this is what New Yorkers should know is, you know, this is a very violent crew that are targeting individuals that are out late at night um, usually at clubs, and, and they are robbing them at gunpoint of high, high-end jewelry. Uh, there's been a couple shootings that we believe have been associated with this crew, and it is very active. Um, and we expect uh, that there will be more arrests. One of the specific thing I want to ask you about is incidents in and around Times Square that get a lot of attention. What's your sense of what's happening in and around Times Square? Yeah, I I think, listen, I grew up in the city, so I remember when Times Square was a a very, very different place. And it's kind of gone through a number of changes Um, where where you see it right now. I think there's some work that we still need to do on some of the quality of life issues. Um, When you look back during COVID, Times Square kind of went through a metamorphosis. You had hotels opening up in the area with, with individuals you know, that we're really essentially uh, homeless shelters. Um, I, I think that since we've put a, a, a number of resources into that area, it has improved, but there's still work to do. Um, you know, I, 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 I would point to a couple incidents of gun violence, certainly, and that, that is the last thing that we want to see. So uh, we, we have some work to do. We have to address some of the quality of life. But again, Peter, when, when you know, Many things come back to what we keep saying, and and I'll actually be going up to Albany in the morning to testify in front of the assembly on this. Some changes that need to be made on the legislative side to shut the revolving door. And when you look at this horrible incident where an innocent woman lost her life last week, every one of these incidents we dissect under a microscope. And when you look at the individual that's responsible for that, He was arrested weeks earlier and and then right back on the street. That's the type of uh, common sense approach to reforms that we need to do better on. And then that's going to have a ripple effect across the city. So tell me about Albany. What is your what's your message? And listen, you, you know this better than anybody. The idea is to not lock up people 
who are not violent for $500 bail or whatever the situation might be. What's the best way to fix this and still not be locking up people who maybe shouldn't be locked up? I I think that you could actually, you know, when, when the reforms were passed in, I guess it was April of 2019, if my memory is right, and they took effect you know, uh, January 120, um, I think they were very well-intentioned and they did a lot of good. But but, but the main uh, thrust of what we're going to talk about there is a couple different things, really three. Um, the, the raise the age, we're going to talk about the discovery and how it's really um, can be some basic improvements to it, not too complicated, that can work out for all involved. And then uh, on the revolving door question, um, you're right, on, on low amounts of bail, I was very vocal initially, which isn't always covered, in saying that bail had to be fixed. And, and no one should be sitting in jail because of the size of their bank account. But not giving judges the ability to make common sense decisions on people that over and over are victimizing New Yorkers or are a danger to the community, I think is a mistake that needs to be fixed. And I think that when we have honest conversations, I think the majority in New Yorkers agree with me. Um, so whether you're talking about somebody committing robberies or stealing cars or breaking into your apartment or victimizing store owners or somebody that just, you know, look at last weekend, we had somebody that pulled out a gun in front of a police officer and shot multiple times hitting people in, in, in Washington Heights with a ghost gun, by the way. And, and in that case, bail was posted, but he made bail and he's back on the street. I would ask you, Peter, do, does you or your listeners want to be sitting in an establishment with that individual after he showed absolutely no regard for life? So, uh, you know, that's the type of conversation, uh, three main points, you know, Small improvements on a couple of these laws, uh, and and yeah, I think you have to listen. New York does a lot of things right, but you have to wonder why. With uh, at this point, I think we're the only state that does not allow judges to keep people in jail when they need to be. And and I would pose this to you: a judge has incredible power in that courtroom. They allow, they make the decision who can testify. They make the decision of what evidence is allowed or not. When you're convicted, they make a decision, should they put you in jail for five years or 15 years, or maybe give you probation. But we don't allow judges the ability upon arrest to make that same type of a decision, I think is a mistake and it needs to be corrected. And I think you're seeing what's happening. It's tied directly to incarceration here. When you have significant drops in incarceration in such a short period of time, at the state level and at the city level, you're seeing that play out and people are getting tired of it. You've got this tension. You talk about going to Albany. You've got uh, progressive lawmakers who are concerned about all kinds of things, but among them, the problems at Rikers and they want to reduce the jail population. How do we do that? And you hear what's going on at Rikers. What role, if any, should the police department be playing? 
Well, I, I don't think the police really should be playing a role there. Uh, I don't know. You know, of course, when we're called upon, we're going to do whatever we can because there is a crisis there. But I, I think, you, I think, Peter, you got to go a couple steps back here and say, like, how did we get into this mess? Um, there is there is a lot of talk about Rikers Island. It's certainly become a political event at this point. I really, honestly, I, I don't have a horse in the race. Whether we close Rikers or not, um, but New York City needs a jail, and New York City, like other large cities, unfortunately, it would be it would be a lovely world if we didn't have to incarcerate anyone. But I think we all recognize that's not the reality. So wherever this jail is, we need it to be top of the line. We need it to be uh, a place where the guards are safe. We need it to be a place that hopefully does its best to rehabilitate people and prepare people to get out of jail, but that the inmates are safe, too. You know, Rikers Island is an island at this point with empty jails. So whether it's rehabbing those or fixing those up or closing it and opening it somewhere else. But where I get really nervous is when we start talking about artificial incarceration levels and getting to those goals. I think that there's a lot of people talking that, frankly, don't have a clue about what they're talking about there. And it's putting New Yorkers at risk when we try to get to artificial jail levels at the sake of victimizing innocent New Yorkers. It's important to point out that figures just released show violent crime continuing to trend down in New York City, murder dropped by 22 percent and shootings by 9 percent. One number that has gone up by double digits is the number of gun arrests. New York's mayor, Bill de Blasio. But look at the overall reality with the gun arrests, up 20% year to date. 20% more gun arrests. Extraordinary activity, extraordinary success by the men and women of the NYPD. It's not easy. As the commissioner will attest, a gun arrest is a very difficult thing to do. But the numbers have been outstanding, even in the toughest of circumstances. A tribute to the NYPD and Commissioner Shea at a time of significant stress to the system, given the pandemic. And what about the pandemic? Unlike teachers, New York City has not mandated vaccines for employees of the police department. And so we asked... What percentage of cops have received COVID vaccines? The latest, the latest numbers that I, I've seen as of this morning is 60. It's not cops. Let me just say it's, it's police and civilian members t- combined. So we have roughly 53, 54,000 members. Uh, 69% total are vaccinated at this point. I know that we hi- we're in the process of hiring 700 police officers this week. We'll be um, processing their paperwork. You know, we won't see them on the street for six months, but they're coming on board this week. We'll be swearing them in, I think, tomorrow. That, as a result of an executive order that new employees have to be vaccinated, that's going to drive up our vaccination rate. But the latest I've seen, uh, without calculating in those 700, is we're at 69%. Would you support a vaccine mandate for the department and if there is one are you concerned about a surge in people quitting or retiring well and there's a third question there the the third question would be well if i do support it why haven't i done it 
I do support it. Um, I, I think we're past that time. Uh, I've said publicly many times, I, I think that, uh, you know, vaccines in this country, whether it's schools or, or different different forums have, have been required. And certainly this pandemic has taken such a toll. I would support it. I personally didn't put it into play because I thought that, you know, we'd, we'd be causing more issues when we have multiple agencies uh, across the city with different regulations. Um, so if and when it comes to the point in time um, where it was mandated, I would fully support that. I've done a number of videos imploring our people, making it as easy as possible to get vaccinated. You know, again, we're roughly about 70 percent right now. Um, I, I think the good news is that, you know, with some of the procedures that the mayor has put in, we're at 70 percent, but we also then the other 30 percent is getting tested on a weekly basis. So I, I think with those um, procedures put into place, we're in a, a pretty good spot right now. If it went to a full mandate, um, how would that other 30 percent respond I believe that many of them would get the vaccine. There probably would be a small number that wouldn't. And, and I think we could handle that. Commissioner, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left. I'm curious. It, it's expected Eric Adams has said that he's going to choose another police commissioner. You will have served about two years in the job. What, what about this job post, posed either the greatest challenge or surprised you the most? Um, has it been two years? I thought it was about 20 years at this point. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised it feels that way. <laughs> uh, listen, it, two sides of this coin. I, I think it's been the most incredibly rewarding experience that I wouldn't trade or change a thing for a second. Has it been challenging? That's the other side of the coin. Absolutely. I think when, you know, not just for me, but many people, when you look back at what we've gone through uh, over the last two years, and, and, um, and there's been a lot when you, when you see some of the spikes in crime, some of the laws that took place that were put into effect, when you see COVID and the tragedy surrounding George Floyd and what came of that. But um, you know, a, a lot to process right now, I'll tell you, to be honest, Peter, you know, 100 percent focused on today and what needs to be done. You know, maybe in the future I'll reflect on some of this, but it certainly won't be today. And that's kind of how I approach each day. And that's what I demand of my employees as well. Too much at stake. Last question. When you're walking out the door and you see your successor, what, what are you, is, firing me? I'm Where not, am I going? I'm, I hate to rush you, but I just want to set some perspective. What kind of advice would you give your successor? Trust your, trust your gut. Be honest. Uh, you know, go with your gut instinct. Do the right thing. And, and the worst thing you could possibly do is try to please everyone because it's impossible. So do what's right. Commissioner, thank you so much for taking the time and, and for your patience. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Our thanks to Peter Haskell and Commissioner Dermot Shea. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. We offer it as on-demand listening each week. You can find it wherever you get your audio. Just look for 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheldon. Thank you for listening. 
and please be safe. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.